0: Gentlemen, start your drinking. Cheers. Cheers! All right. In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. Welcome to the Thanksgiving gift guide version of the No Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. I'm here with East Coast curator...
1: Blake Weil. Cheers, everyone. Happy holidays.
0: And LA Reviews editor...
2: Kevin Goss. Fresh off a
0: shot of bourbon. <laughs>
2: nice. nice.
0: Um, Blake, what are... Uh, so we know what Kevin's drinking. Blake, what are you drinking tonight?
1: Uh, because I'm a pretentious jerk, I am drinking <laughs> Pommeau de Normandie It is, imagine Ooh. like a cross between a cider and a port. Okay. So it's like a fortified Whoa. cider that's been fortified with Armagnac. It is delicious. That does sound delicious. It
0: Sounds delicious. It sounds a little sweet and dry. I could be into it.
1: It's uh, perfect.
0: I have a New Holland Brewing Company, Dragon's Milk, a bourbon barrel aged stout. So each of us has something wildly different as it should be cheers gentlemen cheers 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 thank you all for joining us for this special edition uh what we're gonna do this is our gift guide and our thanksgiving uh set and we're gonna go through some of the options that are were published today uh yeah probably today is when it comes out i don't know what's coming out i'm a little busy uh <laughs> with the uh the no pro 2021 holiday gift guide uh, and we're even going to have a little um, a little special segment uh, in the middle of the show when we get to a certain point. Uh, you'll you'll get to hear that. You'll probably already see it in the show notes. Uh, we're going to go visit Cantrip Candles. So just get ready for that. That's coming on a little bit later in the show. Uh, and now that I've said it, I actually have to do all the editing on that piece. So it's not been edited yet, but it has been recorded. I'm looking forward to it. Don't know how long it is. It'll be fun. Lots of good sounds. And uh, we, we love our friends over at Cantrip Candles. Um, so, um, we, uh, hastily put together an agenda before we began this recording and Blake, the first item on the, uh, gift guide we're going to talk about is actually something you put on the gift guide. So, uh, tell us about it. Sure thing. So the first thing we're talking about today
1: is Neurocracy, which is a far future cyberpunk ARG for one in which you navigate an entire fictional wiki uh, trying to piece together a murder mystery. It is perfect for fans of the genre, anyone who loved Neuromancer, anyone who really gets a lot of pleasure out of digging into the plot and the world of an ARG, and anyone who is good with details. This is the kind of transmedia story where you are going to need to look in the privacy policy in page edits it has so much fun with the wikipedia format and how it does its world building i was a huge fan of it when i played earlier this year
2: so this is one that i actually looked at like picking up can you walk through how it i know it's in like episodes can you like explain how those episodes like function if you're buying this as a gift for
1: someone like what they can expect sure thing so each episode is a different time point in uh, the fictional world in the year 2049, It uh, the whole story proceeds across 10 days, and each episode is a snapshot of that day, where new articles have been uploaded, existing articles have potentially had revisions made, and the whole thing, especially if you decide to play it in re- in real time, which I would strongly recommend really feels like the ripples of information gathering as a major world event happens. In this case, it is the high-profile assassination of a major public figure. Uh, I won't spoil the details for those of you looking to pick pick it up, but overall, you've got kind of two mysteries going on. One is clearly, what is this assassination? What is the conspiracy behind it? And the second, and in my opinion, the slightly more compelling one is, what is this world you're in? Let's let's figure out the details. And so gameplay, as it would be, really is just flipping through Wikipedia, checking revisions, checking hyperlinks within it, and making sure to go through everything. Sometimes you will come across a super important bit of world building in the description of an AI-driven reality dating show and some of the problems people ran into with a perhaps less-than-ethical AI host, uh, things like that. It really is compelling. And when you've finished your day, you just click on to the next chapter, and you've got your updated version of the wiki waiting for you.
0: Nice. Very, very Nice. Well, sounds like I mean, have you been through the whole thing at this point? Yes. About no about how long to
1: anyone?
0: But you, w- yes. W- w- I was just going to ask, just how long? And maybe you answered this already, and, and I and I missed it. How about how long does it take to get through bureaucracy? Uh, depending on you know, like if if you decide to just like just chug through it, like if is this a few hours? Ch- this is this like a few days? What are we
1: looking? If at? If you again? decided to chug through it, um. You could comfortably do it in a couple of very intense marathon sessions and finish it in a couple days. But I would say that you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Uh, And it is... At at 15 pounds, I would say it's pretty reasonable. But you are going to get the most out of that if you are playing a little bit each night and playing in quote-unquote real time. So playing about 30 to 45 minutes if you're a quick reader hour and a half to two hours if you're a bit slower, uh, each day trying to just keep up with edits and new articles.
0: Well, Blake, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun for people to do at home. And I know that's something that people are really still looking for in uh, the year of our chaos 2021 Speaking of things people can do at home, the next thing we're going to talk about in the gift guide is actually being brought to us by what's this? What's this, the sound of of little feet coming in from somewhere else? Why, Why someone else has joined the podcast? Hey everyone, it's Patrick McLean. <laughs> pitter patter, pitter
3: patter. I'm coming to see. Shake that, shake that Christmas present under the tree. So what I get?
0: Speaking of Christmas presents and pitter patter, I think there's a new letter Kenny coming, so that's good news. But that's neither here nor there. Patrick, what uh, do you have in uh, in in the gift guide? What did you put in here that we just told uh, you you need to talk about?
3: <laughs> oh yeah, that thing.
0: Uh, yeah, so I'm really
3: excited to have the opportunity to talk about this, and this is something, Kevin. I would love for you to chime in as you're the one who I believe who originally reviewed it, but. I would love to recommend this holiday season, uh, Welcome Home from Shine On Collective. This is uh, another at-home box experience where you are receiving the package via mail and you open it up and you are essentially on a very straightforward but deeply moving and thought-provoking narrative journey. There are puzzles to be had here that... expert puzzlers would find straightforward and maybe on the simple side, but nevertheless are well-constructed and really make you feel like a genius when you crack them open. But it's the fact that what I really love about this box more so than anything else is that it's, you go to target right now, you can get a lot of these at home box mysteries experiences right off the shelf with, with welcome home, your box is being made on demand. So every time you place an order that someone is going and gathering those materials and meticulously putting it together for your enjoyment. And I think that's just invaluable to a certain degree that like knowing that like someone really took the time to put this together to ensure that I could go on this deeply moving and engaging experience is kind of what the holiday season is about in that sense of like just a well-crafted, well-intentioned gift for everyone.
2: And yeah, I think, I mean, I'm just going to kind of echo what you said. I think it's it's nice that the the story kind of unfolds. And I think some of these, it's like, the story's okay. It's like this one, they put thought into it. And it's not anything kind of big or like bold or new, but it it, it really fits what they're trying to do and then ties into the puzzles really well. And like you said, they're they're like really tuned difficulty-wise to like where you want them to be, where it's like, oh, I feel like clever solving them. But they're not like oh, I ran into this and I'm gonna stop playing because it's it's too hard, it's too annoying. I don't want to think about it. And then yeah, it it has that that kind of handmade element, which is super cool. And there's some stuff in there where you you do kind of realize that it's like oh, this is handmade, and it just it makes for a really good experience. And I I'm glad they're like shipping around the country now too because when I when I did it was only available to people in LA. And there was a food delivery thing, and the food was okay, but I think the shipping. Uh, across the country, and with small desserts, is is like the best version of this, and I'm glad that's kind of where it ended up because it's it's something that people, more people, should experience, and it's a great way for people to experience a local LA's company's product kind of elsewhere, which is always cool too.
1: I was yeah. about to ask. I heard it comes with sweets, also perfect for the holidays.
3: Yeah, those those sweets are really good too. Like, like it's it's like the cherry on top. Um, to the experience for sure. You get, um, I think kind of like a brownie esque one and a chocolate chip esque kind of dessert. At least that's what I got in my box at the time.
1: Um, I, I was going to ask if you were being literal if there was really a cherry <laughs> dessert in there somewhere, but yeah, uh, oh, that's yeah. why. <laughs>
0: got <laughs> <getting laughs> to clarify a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, I I didn't get to do Welcome Home, but I did uh, Spirits of Tillingast, which was another box designed by that team that uh, that was uh, might even still be available at the roguelike. And that is just an LA area one. Um, and if, if this winds up being something that you find intriguing or you like uh, it's also worth checking out uh, Cafe Nordo's um, I believe they call it room service. And it's their uh, it's their uh, shipping setup. And Cafe Nordo of course is a, a dinner theater set up in uh, Seattle and they have you know, gotten into the box business as well, and truly tasty desserts. So um, yeah, this is, a, this is a really fun type of gift to look out and give to people. And these are some great examples of that exact form.
1: This, this sounds like the most fun thing to just like curl up in front of a fire with like a friend or loved one and just do on a cold winter night. You have dessert, you have entertainment, you've got a story you're going to remember for a while. It sounds like a great time. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: That's exactly what it is. Cause it takes about, I don't know, Patrick, like an an hour and a half maybe or so. So it's Uh, like,
1: yeah. If you
3: really want to like take your time and like admire everything and there's, cause there's a little bit of world building. It's, there's like a, you're, you're moved into a house in the suburbs. So there's actually like a, a little bit of like deep diving you can do and like can read over every little piece of, documentation and found artifacts in there you can explore but the main thrust of it is very short very uh, very short but to the point in a well-done way
0: fantastic kevin speaking of things that you've done uh in the past uh and 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 things from the past uh you you're bringing something back this year to the mix
2: I am, and it's it's not one we were like planning on bringing back, but it's because it's it's always relevant. Is is Neal Stephenson's Snow Crash? Um, it's a novel. It originated the term metaverse, which uh, you might have heard is in the news lately with uh, Facebook's rebrand. A lot of corporations out there trying to like create and launch their own separate metaverses, metaverse. I I don't know what the plural of metaverse is because there really should only be the one. That's a whole separate topic. We can talk about that (laughs) on a future podcast, I'm sure.
0: Oh, we've talked Um, about it in the past too, let me tell you.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's something we're going to be talking about a long time. I think it's, as always, Neil Stevenson's novel here is super prescient about kind of like how things have gone in terms of a lot of things. So it's it's worth reading for that. But I think especially because the metaverse is in the news right now, it's helpful to maybe like understand that concept. And then I think too, the other point I, I made when I wrote about it is that, um, All of this is a satire of like kind of a corporate dystopian hellscape. Uh, And the people who are building these current metaverses have decided to take it literally and not as a satire. And then also they made it boring along the way to use in like corporate office jobs, which is truly, truly bizarre and deranged.
1: It just, I keep thinking of that fabulous tweet. Um. Congratulations! We've invented the pain vortex from that
0: classic novel. Don't invent the pain, pain vortex. vortex. Yes, and and that and that tweet is specifically, I believe, from William Gibson, who also coined the term cyberspace, which is what everyone was calling it before uh, metaverse popped up. And I remember contemporaneously at the time, like when Snow Crash hit, it was big, big, very, very, very successful. Uh, and but also became a thing that was like, Oh, I guess are we gonna call cyberspace the metaverse now? And then people are like, Oh, no, but like cyberspace, you just like, you know, is like this, but like metaverse is like that. And like metaverse, even at the time, felt a little more spatialized, but it is, it is true. Like it was, there's, there's a way of reading it, particularly because it was like released in like, I think like 1991 or something. Like 92. this was a satire. Yeah. This was a, this was specifically a satire of. Like American consumer mall culture and what suburbanites thought were badass. and um, and that it has become what it's become, it does sort of see that like there's there's a, a lack of an irony filter um, with with like everybody in this country, right? Yeah. Um that being said, there there's definitely, I don't know I feel like there's still a lot of lessons to be learned by exploring it. But it's way more of a cautionary tale. I think as I always point out when anyone ever talks about Snow Crash, the Neil Stevenson book that we maybe should be emulating is The Diamond Age, which is uh, the next book he wrote, it's all about, uh, one of the lead characters is a ractor, an interactive actor, and it's all about this kind of magical book that is an educational tool and sort of the, the idea, if if Snow Crash is about what can go wrong when memetic information gets dumped into a population unchecked, then Snow Crash is kind of about, hey, after it's all really messy, what happens when you can't stop the democratization of knowledge? Um, and that's, that's one interpretation of it. That's one through line. But it, it, in so many ways, uh, it's a much more hopeful book. Than Snow Crash is. So, and if you're going to well, do one, do both.
1: <laughs> let's just hope that if we end up in a sci fi dystopia, it's not the Snow Crash one and we end up in Cory Doctorow's Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom. Equally horrifying, but at least we get to be wealthy and immortal in that
0: one. Yes, <laughs> um, all all the woofy, and hopefully Corey Doctor's version of like woofy, and not like was it Scott Westfield like the post or China's series, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of variations here that could like you know go go badly with the whole like uh, social social credit as your as your form. We're gonna stay in we're gonna stay in Bookland here for a second, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna pivot over to what's Maybe the one thing that is giving me un, unabashed joy in life, and that is the High Republic Publishing Initiative coming out of Lucasfilm uh, and thus coming out of Disney. This is a new era of storytelling for Star Wars. Um, it is being tied in uh, lightly to the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser, so that, that's sort of where our crossover point is. Uh, it also shows up a little bit in Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, but the bulk of the stories uh, here are being told in a series of uh, novels and comic books uh, that are aimed at various levels of readers. Um, to to get the full effect, yes, you know you got to do what I do, and that's like <laughs> consume all of the story, which I have not done that with anything. In a very long time. It has literally been since the early days of the original Star Wars Expanded Universe back in the early to mid-90s since I've tried to follow everything that was published in a fictional line. Uh, I'm doing that right now with High Republic. I'm sure either my wallet will dry up. uh, I mean, it kind of has already. I probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, Or that they'll just try to make too many publications. And so like, I'll just be like, I can't keep up anymore. Um, That being said, you don't have to be like me, but if you want to get a taste of what this rather compelling vision of, hey, what what was the Jedi Order like when things were good and kind of at the height of their powers? And, you know, was it all like, uh, you know, porgs and pumpkin pies, or was there, you know, some morally questionable stances taking place and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, Then the two to really do are uh, uh, Charles Sewell's Light of the Jedi, which is the novel that kicks off the cycle. And then following that up with uh, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, which is, I will easily say, the best sequel to a Star Wars story since Empire Strikes back there. no I, I went there I did no, it. can't second it
3: because I like it had been a very long time both both with the line but with with the rising storm in particular that I had been this excited about Star Wars like and also Scott's novel is just really well done oh my god it, so good it's it, 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 it uh, f- not to put down all of the other possibly great <laughs> Star Wars books out there that have come and gone but like wow what just great storytelling what a, what a expertly crafted novel that was super it, engaging it
0: it stands it stands really high up there and there and look I've loved me some Star Wars novels in the day like I love the original Thrawn trilogy I love uh Delilah Dawson's uh, Uh, Phasma in particular which is one of the reasons why I was so disappointed with a certain movie (laughs) uh, was because she really made me love a character and then that movie was like oh mm, whatever this is just a gag um and so felt deeply betrayed um uh, by by everything being set up uh in in a very very good novel um we did get cardinal out
3: of it though who goes did on get to have a very great story
0: it with the black spire book that does tie into uh two at galaxy's edge oh, so it's it does it's everything pan out yeah it it does it does pan out everything's connected that being said just on the level of you know if you want a template for what what a well like an x-men style team book for star wars would feel like it's very much the rising storm and he he just manages this large cast of characters coming and going and you never feel like you never feel like you're spending too much time with anybody and you get some depth and the characters the characters are fascinating and the characters they're not squeaky clean, and there's some complexity in the relationships between everybody that is just, just not what you would necessarily expect from Star Wars, and and definitely not even something they would even remotely dare to do in the movies these days, which yeah, I By extension, it's refreshing in that oh sense, too. Oh my god, so refreshing. So, so very refreshing.
1: As someone who has just seen the movies, would you say that- um, which of these books would you say is maybe the best jumping on point for someone who hasn't really dipped toes just, into the universe? Just go into Light of, the,
0: Light of the Jedi, because this is set 300 years before the movies. Uh, there's only three characters who are alive in these books, who are alive in the movies. Two of them are members of the Jedi Council, who, you, who none of us can recognize unless you're a complete obsessive, and even me, like I don't know their names, I just know their silhouettes. And then the third one is Yoda right and like and and he's off screen almost all the time so that's it if you just know that yoda exists and you know that like jedi they're supposed to be the good guys the republic it's a thing you're good that's all you need to know nothing else
1: sold and in i'll have all to right. pick
0: up a copy yeah go for it go for it um uh light of the jedi uh fun uh has the hard job of doing the heavy lift of introducing a lot of characters. So, um, at times a, a little creaky, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, uh, but it's also a thankless task to like introduce this whole new world, uh, that falls to Charles Sewell, uh, who, um, Charles Sewell, who does, does some really, he, he gets character voices really well. Like that's the, his dialogue is always just beautiful to read. Uh, that said, um, read it because without it the rising storm will make no sense and the rising storm rocks it is just pulse pounding really incredible incredible piece of genre fiction writing in an established universe um truly 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 excellent all right that was almost the entire book section blake you've got uh you've got someone else's uh Um, offering to give up to to the crew.
1: So so I am popping in with a book that admittedly I have never read, but hear me out, people, because Kane's Jawbone is the trend on TikTok right now. Uh, Ali Murata has rightfully brought this to our attention because it is a book that almost acts as... Ye old A.R.G. for all you amateur detectives at home. It is a murder mystery in which six people have been killed, and there are potentially six murderers, and it's up to you to figure out who killed whom. Twist is, whole book's out of order. The book is completely scrambled page for page, and you have been given dotted lines at the spine, encouraging you to cut out all the pages and make your own murder board. Uh, TikTok has adored showing off their murder boards for Kane's Jawbone. Uh, Red string isn't included, but if you are going to give someone this as a gift, I would highly encourage you to include a small cork board and some red string so that they can have the full experience. It is... So much fun diving into something that was originally written in 1934, I can imagine, and seeing echoes of what would really become things like neurocracy that I described earlier. This is This is analog hyperfiction, and I think that's really neat. And this is something that I am actually going to be asking my friends and family for. That's how much I have been sold on this by both. Allie's glowing description, and the amazing TikToks I've seen.
3: Well, make sure you keep the red string uh, that it, the present comes wrapped in, of course, because it sounds like you're going to need that. Handy <laughs> oh, I will need
1: every scrap of ribbon, yes. And uh, I will be saving that for multiple gifts. It will be a very festive, holly jolly murder board, I'm sure.
0: Fantastic. Um, also, kind of, kind of awesome that... What a book from the 1930s you said is like now getting a bunch of attention on TikTok. What a.
1: Originally published in 1934. Wow. It got re released in 2019 mm. and just kind of hit its stride. And it's very cool to kind of see, you know, I guess the year started with sea shanties. Why not end with noir? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Uh Blake, we're gonna, first, we're gonna. Oh, go uh, for
1: it! I was gonna jump in with
2: one thing here too. It's not on the gift guide, and I think it kind of fits in with that kind of older immersive stuff that is now available in book form. Is the script for Tamara, which was like a big LA mainstay?
0: Um in- Oh, you know what? I'll put that on the gift guide. Okay. So yeah, cool. I'll put it in. So so yeah, now it's on the gift guide. But go for it. Nice. Dylan. Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, it's I, it ran back in the '80s, and anytime I like talk about immersive theater, my my parents are like, "Oh, we saw this thing called Tamara in in LA." So it's it's been around and i think it's it's always interesting to have access to like a script for an immersive thing especially one that ran kind of so long ago and may have been like kind of a progenitor to a lot of like things we've seen now so that is uh, out there
0: yeah they did a they did a re-release of it for the 40th anniversary and so that republication was not too long ago we had we had the writer on one of the one of the first of the new format shows so you can dig that back. I think, I literally, I believe that was on the very, it was episode 301. I remember that because that was one of our first episodes of this form. Um, I think it was episode three. Maybe it was episode 302. Anyway, 301 or 302. I'm, I'm not looking at that right now. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Blake, actually slipping it back to you, I believe, because you're also going to dig another one up from uh, other members of the team.
1: Yes, and this is something that I have actually been lucky enough to sample. Uh, Leah Davis wrote about Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, and I was first introduced to them because they were, if I'm recalling correctly, one of the special thanks in the acknowledgments in the book heavily inspired by immersive theater, The Night Circus. And they are a thematic perfume company that makes... Narrative and character-inspired uh, scent blends. We, in particular, Leah has listed their RPG series. Uh, they this has included some really fun ones to celebrate the removal of "quote unquote" evil races from Dungeons and Dragons, where they have mixed some traditionally evil D and D races. Uh, with very sort of normal, wholesome jobs. Just looking at the description, oh my god, Kobold Barista sounds like it smells delicious. It is a coffee base with spice and a slight cream finish. It sounds like a perfect like holiday party scent, actually. And I think what's really fun about them is that it's a way of taking... Maybe a little bit of that immersive spirit with you wherever you go. I know I, in particular, am really sensitive to scent. If ever I smell like an overwhelming rose perfume oil or something, I am immediately taken back to Hecate's lair in the McKittrick Hotel. Things like that. And so I think it's very smart tying scent to narrative i think that scent is really good at evoking memories and feelings and i think that this is a really cool company doing something almost no one else is in the perfume field
0: well and the degree to which scent uh really can evoke you know a particular experience or set stage and mood um is often overlooked uh one because kind of the mechanics of it are a little bit more than most people uh, know or or have the desire to kind of dig into uh but it also makes it almost like mysterious and magical um almost like a little spell uh another word for a spell is a cantrip uh and cantrip candles uh, who we've uh, we've reviewed their shows, uh, or they've been, they've done a show with Walk the Night in the past. Kevin, didn't you didn't you actually participate in that one?
2: I did participate in that one, and I believe Patrick did the remote version as well. So yes,
0: I did. I did the session
3: Zero, so I can speak to that. But I, let's start at the top and work our way there. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, well, well, I bring this up in part because, uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, we actually have a little visit to Cantrip Candles. Uh, this week as part of the gift guide and now is the perfect time for us to just roll that uh, wonderful aromatic tape oh my god that smells like pure chocolate fudge and it's just like a clear liquid
4: yep that's uh the chocolate is one of the elements of our coffee shop scent and uh it really balances it out but it's it's a rich chocolate smell i like it a lot
0: that's the voice of master candle maker
4: christoph fisher and i'm the owner of cantrip candles I've been doing the business for about five years now, I guess come coming up on six soon. Um, it started in my apartment as a hobby, and as many businesses do, they kind of grew. And now we have a storefront, and we've had the storefront now for one year. September 1st was our one-year anniversary.
0: Cantrip Candles is a block and a half east of Western on Santa Monica Boulevard in the East Hollywood neighborhood of Los Angeles. Step inside the storefront and you'll see that...
4: It it looks kind of like a living room. I mean, there's a couch in here. There's a big red carpet. uh, I wanted it to be a space that is homey and comfortable because that's where you play games most of the time, in your living room or in your dining room.
0: What exactly do candles and games have to do with each other? Well, here, just about everything. Are those metal?
4: Metal dice. Metal dice in each one of our 16-ounce glass candles, so you get a little parting gift at the end of your candle.
0: The candles that Christoph and his team make aren't just designed to smell good. Most of them do do that. But they're designed to evoke a sense of place. We first met Christoph as part of an immersive experience called Tales by Candlelight he produced along with Walk the Night. In this experience, You, the player, and Christoph, the game master, created a world together. And, most importantly, how that world smelled. Which was delivered, after a while, to you in the form of a candle.
4: We make tabletop-themed fantasy candles, um, but more specifically, we're trying to make a way to increase someone's immersion at the table. If they're having a game night, we want you to feel like you're in the game night, in the tavern, in the dungeon. Um, if you're just relaxing, we want you to be able to sniff the air and feel like you're in a library. So, yes, we make candles that are fantasy themed, but what we're really striving for is to enhance immersion.
0: This path to enhancing immersion, as Christoph puts it, is rooted in the idea that smell is a powerful way to evoke a sense of place, of presence whether that's a coffee shop or a library deep in a forest or out in a bog. I wondered, how did they go about creating the sense. Was it a matter of having a vision they were trying to match, or was there a little more playful alchemy involved?
4: For me, it's either we're we're starting with a destination, we want to make a swamp land smell, and then we chase that destination down. We'll look through our library of scents, we'll search the internet, and we'll find as many things that will fit into this goal as we can. But a lot of the times, we'll just kind of play around. Oh, what does this smell like? Oh, that smells cool. Well, what does it smell like if we add this in? Oh, I don't know. And then you mix it. Oh, that smells terrible. Or that smells great. We land on something that smells phenomenal, it makes our pupils dilate, it makes us smile, it makes us react, and then it becomes, okay, well, what are we smelling? And then it becomes pairing a name and a theme to the scent, as opposed to vice versa. Both are fun, and both are part of the process, and it's hard to tell which process is going to be used to determine which scent, because it really is touch and go.
0: Christoph didn't set out in life intending to be a candle maker, and definitely not a candle maker who made candles for role-playing games. I mean, that wasn't even a thing all that long ago. But like so many people in the immersive world, when you look back, it all kind of fits together.
4: I wanted to be an actor. Uh, I studied theater in college, and I moved out to LA to be an actor. I supported myself with some modeling gigs and a lot of food service, retail jobs, part-time jobs, things like that. And it's funny because all of that kind of culminated into what we try to do here at Cantrip. Like it's very theatrical here. You walk into the storefront and it looks like a set almost and atmosphere feelings are all very important in the process of making these candles. So I like to think that my retail background and my theater background and a little bit of my chemistry studies all kind of played into this but I didn't know it was happening at the time. I was just kind of like, what am I doing with my life? Hot wax coming through. It's kind of like a brewery. Uh, If you imagine when you go to where they make beer, they make it in the back and you can see them making it, but then they have a front area where you can kind of taste what they make or buy the beers that they make. And we do the same thing with candles. So... The combination of the Blackhound Tavern sign plus the living room vibe, plus the whole production in the background, yeah, it's got a a living room tavern vibe.
0: That vibe reflects a larger vibe in the culture as a whole. There's been a massive resurgence of role-playing games thanks to the phenomenon of live plays on Twitch. This has been spearheaded by shows like Critical Role, which here in LA, you can see billboards for all around town. Now, more than ever, being a tabletop gamer, being a role player, is a lifestyle as much as it is a hobby. I wanted to know, is there a big crossover between the kinds of folks in our world, the immersive, and the folks in this growing lifestyle scene?
4: I think so. I, I still think that, I find that people who love immersive productions have this, um, uh bravery to them they love just going in blind they don't necessarily read the write-up they just want to experience it and and have their minds blown but i don't know if that always carries over to gaming because there seems to be this not like a gatekeeper mentality but i do think i've heard from a lot of friends of mine that don't play Dungeons and dragons for example that they're like i'm just a little intimidating about joining a group i've never really played at a table like that before. So it's funny that they can have this mentality of super bravery towards experiencing something on their own or with a partners or their friend group. But then when it becomes like stepping into another foreign body, which is the world of gaming, there's a little bit more of a hesitance. I can't explain what that is. I guess there's more rules to a game than there would be to experiencing a theater production. But I wish that more immersive people would like just try it out because at the end of the day, gaming is just another style of immersion.
0: What about the reverse, the, the folks at the table? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: The reverse? Yeah, all the gamers are down to go to an immersive show. I think, I think that's the cool thing about immersive theater, though, or immersive productions. People just like to see something happen around them. And to be the center of that uh, production is awesome.
0: As you can tell from the sound of all the packing, we visited the store right at the start of the busy season.
4: Anywhere, depending on the speed of the day, 20 to 50 packages a day. And then within that, there could be one to four candles, so somewhere in between there. But it really does depend on what season you're in. And so right now we're heading into Christmas and it's like ramping up. So ask me that question in three weeks and I'll probably give you a very different number.
0: Like with a lot of small businesses, the pandemic has thrown curveball after curveball at Kristoff and Cantrip Candles. Yet the fact that the business has not just managed to stay open, but thrived, thanks to online sales and a growing wholesale business to game stores, gives me hope that the experience economy that economists speak of isn't going to just fade away in the face of the macroeconomic changes our society faces. That by focusing on the qualities and the quality... Of an experience, creative minds like Kristoff's can flourish in the years to come. How's the whiskey smell? The um, whiskey, whiskey smells like whiskey.
4: Yeah, um, I mean, do the
0: snodsberries taste
4: like snodsberries? Well, yeah, That's we it. try to get the only accurate ones. Come on, Noah. Oh my! Boozy.
0: Very, very boozy. That's a very boozy. I mean, oh. Probably, that, that, is a, that, is, that is a high alcohol content Yeah, probably right
4: twice as flammable as real whiskey because it's in oil. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is that is wild.
4: Here's one more that
0: you might enjoy. Once again, I want to thank the team down at Cantrip Candles, especially Christophe for letting us come through and uh, talk to them while they were busy working. Patrick, as you mentioned, you have done Tales by Candlelight Session Zero, which is still available for folks. Uh, maybe spend a minute or two just talking about your experience doing that.
3: Yeah, and this was a, a, an experience that I kind of did on a whim back um, at the end of, uh, oh my God, 2020. Like I was like, is that, is that really that recent? Well, no. uh, and it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I had the opportunity to do this and I signed up. And what happens is is you get mailed a box. Uh, 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 and by, let me say that this, it's just not a box, guys. It's a hand-carved wood box that has at least uh, 12 if not more of the scented candles that they make uh, with walk the night and uh, w- with can't uh, tails candles and they in they're all uniquely designed and they're numbered they don't have any labels quite yet because what happens is is that you get on the session with the game master and And together, using prompt cards that are provided in the box and the candles and then just the own creativity between you and your storyteller, you begin to create a narrative with these, like, simple, everyday, like, elements, right? Just, like, words and candles and lights and smell. And it's such an engaging, wonderful experience. And to, like, you know, we talk about on the show a lot. You know, sometimes like just the production value. I mean, we're coming off spooky season where all these amazing things can happen with death defying stunts and beautiful occasion work. But it's just a really great reminder with session zero how little and simple the elements can be to tell a massively engaging and engrossing story. And
2: I think that's, that also speaks to, I know we're not really talking about the the in-person version, but it speaks to what they did there too, which it was like you and I had, I had Christoph telling my story in a room with some sense. And it was, like you said, it was super simple, but it was a really magical experience. Partially because it's, it's so well thought out, but also Christoph was like a really good DM for that session. And like, that's not normally my type of thing, but it, it worked so well. It was just like one of those great experiences.
0: Yeah. The devil's really in the details here and it's, you know, the, the candles themselves, as I'm sure we got into in the piece are, are mostly meant to set the mood for role-playing games. And yet th- as simple as that is, it really does open up all kinds of possibilities. And I think that people can really be thinking about design in different ways. And we've, we've had a lot of scent-based experiences. You know, we, obviously we're just talking about Black Phoenix Alchemy Labs is how we got into this bit. You know, there was also um, oh Blake, uh, I know you did it. Um, there was I was
1: just pulling up uh, this yearning, did right. the fabulous this great plague, and uh, we're all really looking forward to future projects by this yearning. Um,
0: yeah, that was one of the ones I think we put into the, like the. That, that, that was made one of last the best years... of 2020.
1: Yeah. that was a mind-blowing experience yeah. that worked on scent and audio alone. And I still and... remember
0: on that on that session, it was like when when it was when the case was made that it should be one of the best of 2020, and then like the entire editorial staff that went and just bought them out. And so yeah. we were like, "All, oh, so we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we picked the best of. The bad news is we bought them all.
2: And like, yeah, you sold the hell out of that show because I think everybody did go and buy it. Or like, oh,
0: yeah, please. yeah, and, and, and like, it please. was.
3: Worth the hype. Like it was a really great experience. And and once again, in that, just this topic of simplicity, just like water and uh, flower petals and other things of the earth. And with just music and a little bit of imagery, you can be whisked away to a time and really feel like, oh my God, this is what they were doing during the great plague. And the, the, the symmetry between what we were all going through at the height at that time was
0: palpable all right staying in the physical objects delivered or picked up or brought to you uh next up on the list and i i honestly can't remember who was going to talk about this because in the initial session we realized that none of us had played it but maybe maybe patrick you have played it we were just going to talk about Catherine's recommendation of box one
3: yes i have played this kevin did you all ever right. play your copy or you're still just staring still at it
2: there waiting to be played i think blake is in a
3: similar boat so. i'm halfway through. oh
1: i i still need to get to target you know <laughs> okay I, i'm even worse
3: yeah. blake's blake's is there it's like a little note like he's it reserved the copy and it's just sitting there under lock and key form here. um yeah so i can definitely speak to this uh and it's an older experience we won't get into it but like it, it's such a you know It really does live up to the hype that this is something that you can really do for yourself. We talked about this recently on a review crew where um, Anthony was on and he had done an experience where, you know, it was a longer experience, a little more engaging, but it was up to five hours. But I've done similar these boxes where sometimes like five hours, it's just because you're the only person. Maybe you don't want to take a hint. It's not designed for only one person because not everyone has equal skill sets or an equal way of thinking to solve puzzles or explore and think of things in different ways. So box one, I think it's greatest strength is twofold. One it's the quality of the contents. Like it's, you know, there's some really well-made, well-designed things uh, that really have thought it out and have weight to it. And then additionally, it really is for someone. I think there's, there's a narrative that secretly emerges in this game that really invites you in because you know sometimes with a lot of these at-home box experience it's like you gotta like pretend you're part of a secret society of detectives who conveniently get things to solve crimes for some bizarre reason but there's a really organic way that box one draws you in closer in that kind of a little bit ARG element to it where the world around you begins to change as you believe you have received a unique copy of this box that is gonna take you on a grand adventure any questions
1: <laughs> no I'm sold you know I was I was sold since last year and I just kept convincing myself oh I'll wait till I'm back home for the holidays with family to play it with and you know what I think I know what I'm bringing home a copy of yeah right. and I
3: We talk about a little bit like, and that's what I guess maybe for better or worse, like with it's available at Target, like generally, I think it's now available, you can order it online. So if you don't live near Target, or that's not an option, it seems like you you can get it somehow. But I think that accessibility as a entry point into thinking about storytelling beyond going to see a Shakespeare play, or other kind of like traditional live entertainment is a golden opportunity for all the things that we do.
1: I, I mean, love that your first go-to for storytelling wasn't, you know, a movie or a book. It was going to live Shakespeare. Stay, stay classy, Patrick.
3: Well, well, I mean, what's the name of this organization again? What are we? What are we yeah, talking about?
0: Exactly. Uh, one, one, two more notes on this, uh, on this piece. One, uh, Theory Eleven, who who manufacture it? And, and I think what we didn't mention is that you know Neil Patrick Harris uh, is is uh, one of the producers of this. One of the central. Uh, characters in the whole thing. Um, and a co-designer. I, I heard co- him speak yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: um at Recon and definitely like he's instrumental in it. He's put a lot of effort into this. It's definitely not a a vanity project for
0: yeah, him. Yeah. No. Say. Well and, and I mean I mean Neil, you know I'm gonna say to his credit, like Neil's been like a practicing magician since he was like a teenager. So uh this whole idea of like illusion and fakery and trickery and puzzles like this has long been an obsession of his, so uh makes a lot of sense that this gets produced. but the thing we I don't think we've mentioned at all in this is that yes, it's just for one person, but that does not end its usefulness. The whole thing is very elegantly designed to be repackaged and handed off to a friend so Blake, you can get this, play it yourself, hand it off to a family member, and it can bounce around a family group, a friend group. Everyone can experience this. Like at a certain point, you run out of like the consumables that are in it, uh, but I think it could be played like thirty times before that happens.
1: Oh wow!
0: Yeah, well, because the consumables are like a Yahtzee style. <laughs> pad, right? So at certain point, you could just put regular paper in there, but, you know, you'd run out of, you know, the fancy paper, right? Remember the ink, the pen runs out of ink, you know? Like, there's a couple of things that, but other than those two things, you could, you can just, you can probably play it
1: forever. Yeah.
0: yeah. pretty. That is,
1: that is super cool. It's almost like the utility of a legacy game in terms of, you know, getting a narrative out of your mm-hmm. box board experience. But without that sort of permanence or yes. sense of one time only.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot to love about what they did with this piece. Um, speaking of a lot to love, perhaps nothing has more to love this year when it comes to games than what is hands down the game of the year, no matter what the Game Awards say inscription uh, this is the PC game that is is it a roguelike deck builder is it an escape room simulator is it an ARG and the answer is yes 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 to all of that um Kevin uh, you had not played it yet. Uh, when last we talked. And now you have made it one of your choices for the gift guide. So let's let you wax poetic here a little bit. Yeah. So oh, which
3: computer did you borrow?
2: <laughs> my, my dad had a laptop that I could borrow. Like, yes.
0: <laughs> like I, yes.
2: These, like, I, I need it for some things. I was like, I will, I'll get it back to you very quickly.
0: <laughs>
2: so <it was> like, <laughs> I do like keep uh, getting it and, and giving it back for like two sessions here to, to play it. But I did manage to, to play all the description in about three or four days. Over the run, um, it's it's real good. People are talking about it for a reason. And um, I think it's one of those ones that is really hard to talk about because you don't want to give too much away and even be like, well, it does cool stuff later on. Is like, well, is that even saying too much? Um, but it does. And I think that's been part of it. And you don't really want to know anything past, like kind of what happens at the beginning, which is very immersive and very, there's escape room elements. It's, there's this card game that, is also kind of immersive in the card game, and I think part of we we talked about scent earlier, and I think part of what makes this one immersive is the the sound design.
0: In oh the God, first, yeah. First
2: section is fucking magnificent. Like it's so intense, and like it changes it up based on like what's happening and if you're doing things, and it's like it's so thought out in that element that it like really and stuck not just into the world,
0: not just the soundtrack. But really, the effects, the mm-hmm. sounds of the scales and the yeah. sounds of uh, the cards—all the little tiny bits—you um, know what was fa- what's been fascinating to me is like I'm a I'm an avid listener of Waypoint Radio Vice's video game podcast, which is how I found out about this in the first place, and it is spread through that group like an infection, and. To hear that crew talk about this game the way we talk about immersive theater, talking about presence, talking about it being immersive, talking about it feeling like being in an escape room. Like it does such a great job of taking the design ethos of our world and bringing it to an entirely different audience, which is one of the reasons why it's so exciting. It's also just really fun. Every bit of it. And I'm not even a big, I'm not a big deck builder person. Like I don't, I don't play magic. I've never really been into that sort of stuff. I've tried. I, I don't fully get it. You don't need to be that person to play the game, beat the game, enjoy the story. Uh, In fact, I would say as someone who isn't into that stuff, but has played around a little bit, but never totally grokked it, it, it probably did more to help me understand how those games work than any other game has without it ever sitting down and explaining rules to me. I just picked it up organically as I was playing.
2: And it, because it explains those rules through the through the play and it adds on new ones basically right up until the very end of the, the game. And it's like you never, you've seen them in pieces throughout and it's like the way it kind of weaves them in. It's like, oh yeah, I just know how, to, how this works because I've been seeing it for a few hours at this point. It's like, oh, and I think that there's a lot to learn from like immersive stuff in the way they like teach you and unfold new ideas and like how to play a show, so to speak, and and how mm. this one kind of rolls out these ideas and builds on them and like layers them into to new scenarios and its twists and its turns and its surprises and all of that.
0: yeah, it encourages you to like, well, I tried I did this before. What if I do that here? Oh, it worked. Mm -hmm. Or even moments where you're like, oh, is this really going to work? And then it does. And so it just, it rewards your curiosity. It rewards your patience. And it's always that much weirder than you thought it was going to be.
1: You know, there's also just kind of the elephant in the room, which is this is the most legitimately haunted feeling game (laughs) of 2021. (laughs) This game is so deliciously creepy. It's the kind of thing where, you know, you can almost... In the back of your mind, feel it breathing, even after you shut it off. There is something so stickily eerie about the whole thing that is just mm, mouth watering.
0: Yeah, it's it's a banger, and if you if you have the sad thing is you do need to have access to a Windows machine. Uh, I don't even know. I don't think it has to be that robust of one because it's not like this is like really pushing the graphical fidelity, right? Like I kind of feel like if, if, your, if your machine can play like the Doom from like four years ago, it can play this, right? Like pretty handily, should be able to. Um That being said, it isn't on any other platforms at the moment. And when it does say reach the Mac, if it ever gets there, if it reaches – you know the switch or or any of that stuff or or somehow miraculously hits game pass and is play anywhere uh, thanks to cloud gaming uh, which probably belongs in the, the gift guide as well um, as a way to like ruin your life uh, <laughs> but in a great way um, you should you should play this you should totally play this um, if you're super squeamish not like mildly squeamish I'm I can be mildly squeamish there's some body horror stuff in this that you might want to avoid but if if that's not a worry for you go for it
2: and then I think the the one last thing is I think a lot of people talk about like how well it does these things but I also I also called it out in the in the write-up for this is that it I think it sticks the landing in a really interesting way yeah that is like is this gonna work and then the way it brings everything together is like Oh, okay. This guy knows what he's doing. Like it's a good, it's the story it tells like wraps up Mm. in a really kind of complete way that I feel like it seems like it might not because it's throwing all this stuff at you and these kind of different things. And it,
0: it does work. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's a singular, singular feat. Blake, you're back up to share another thing from our guide of gifts from one of the other writers.
1: Yes, I am. Uh, This is something that, as someone who hasn't been able to get out to Area 15, I have been so jealous of all my friends who I have seen with this. This is the adorable, the huggable, the just absolutely wonderful Daikon Pal plush. (laughs) Leah Davis... Uh, Had to bring this to our attention for the gift guide, and frankly, for all of the fans of the I Can't Believe It's Not Butter parody spray, I think that this is the standout Omega Mart item. It is an adorable, incredibly, like, ugly cute, uh, cuddly daikon radish with its long roots as sort of sassy, poseable legs, and its greens as floppy little hair. Now, this is not a cute daikon radish. It doesn't have eyes. This is not... It hasn't been given a big, grinning mouth. No, it's just a huggable, vaguely anthropomorphized daikon radish. And if you are just looking for something neat and immersive-adjacent as a cute little trinket or add-on, or just a really unique item for the plush collector in your life, this cannot be beat. There is something just so... You know, you've heard of cute cute, and you've heard of ugly cute. This is uncanny cute. There is something so bizarro cute about this that I just love.
0: I've seen it with my own eyes. It is truly... Bizarro Cute, that's a great reference. I, when I looked at it, the first thing that I thought of was the Mandragora root from the uh, classic uh, manga and anime uh, Berserk. Uh, so uh, it freaked me out a little bit because um, Anthropomorphosis... Anthropomorphic- uh, yeah, can't say the word right now. You know what I'm trying to say. Uh, root vegetables just, uh, just give me some flashbacks to some some very <laughs> horrific <laughs> body horror stuff so body horror it's a theme not not a big fan of it uh i, I endure uh, i endure it for getting through uh, interesting stories um but See,
1: uh, i looked at it and i just thought it looked like the sassy suave older brother of gutatama
0: no i mean there's definitely that vibe <laughs> to the whole the whole deal um and uh, not everyone's going to have that reaction <laughs> that I did.
1: Oh um, no no! I've read Berserk and I see where you're coming from. You're not okay, crazy I, here. Yeah, good
0: good good. Yeah no I know I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know not for that anyway. Um but uh, yeah like uh there's there's if you make hmm okay it's not that I regret it because I don't but um you know if if I had more disposable income. When I visited Omega Mart, I probably would have picked up a couple of weird things. Um, I didn't. Uh, I also have nowhere to put more weird things because I have a lot of weird things as is. Uh, but if if uh, it's, and, and of all the weird things, uh, that daikon radish uh, might be the weirdest and it may very well be the thing to walk out of there with. Yeah. All right. Speaking of merch, things to walk away from. I'll walk away with, <laughs> not walk away from, Kevin. Uh, we're gonna let you take us home uh, right. by 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 rounding to... the the bases, as it were. Oh,
2: funny, funny transition there. Um, yeah, my ongoing quest to, to cram baseball into whatever we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> recommended baseball merch. <laughs> Shocker. Um, there's like it's it, it sounds silly, but there's actually some really cool stuff here. Um, even if you're not familiar with baseball, I think it's it's a lot of artwork driven by fans of the of the game or even I think probably some of them don't even really engage with baseball as a game format. They just engage with it as a, as a way to kind of make this art and put these things out into the world. So I think it's, it's cool from that avenue in ways that people can engage with baseball that are not saying they're playing the betting simulator or engaging with the lore. It's, it's making up these stories and kind of fitting it in and, and offering people uh, kind of different, different ways to play baseball or participate in baseball. Um, And there's actually some stuff on there that may help like explain the world and is, is neat that way. Or there's just kind of goofy jokes or things like riffing on other memes that they've kind of fit into baseball. And it's, it's, it's cool stuff. Um, And it's... Let me ask
0: you this, this very pointed question. Is, is the unlimited tacos hat of the infinity symbol as, as a taco, or, or I can't remember exactly remember, but there was a really beautiful purple infinite taco hat. Is that still in the merch set
2: i believe it is is still available and if you give me two seconds i will pull that up you can search by team on the on the website which is on blazeball cares and it is the hat is black the symbol is a a taco uh shaped into the infinity sign
0: it's now a black hat okay it was purple for a while Mm -hmm. uh it is it is a beautiful logo however and if memory serves blazeball cares uh is it a different charity all the time? It's yes. kind of like the humble Bumble that, bundle that way. Yeah. So they, they, there's all of an, a charity cut involved.
2: Yep. So they, yeah, it, it's artists, these, some money gets, they donate some proceeds to a charity and it's, it's just another way to engage with place ball.
3: All right. Well, and then uh, just on that note, cause I'm looking at, they also, I, I really think what's cool. And I, I always appreciate you pointing this out, Kevin, to give uh, a credit is that I'm looking at like a lot of the, like collector cards mm-hmm. and there's all of there's 55, it seems in these different packs where it's fan artwork that's being displayed. So I think that's just a really great way of, you know, building in the community and celebrating and doing awesome things that are for everybody that everyone can enjoy. So like if you're not a person who wants a hat or things like that or whatever, you get these cool cards and stuff. But I really think, I just really appreciate and I'm always attracted to this idea of how engaged the blaze ball creators and people are with their fans and really uplift when the fans do cool stuff.
2: Yes. And there's also um, like you can create your own like Lego minifigure along with like kind of more unusual merchandise. It's not just like uh, like hats and shirts and stuff. Um, so there's some unique stuff on here.
0: All right. That brings us to the end of our 2021 gift guide special. Thank you to everyone on the team who uh, added into the gift guide and, and those who couldn't be here. Uh, Blake, I want to thank you for reading from the grand uh, book of gifts as it were.
1: Anytime. It's been an absolute delight.
0: Patrick, I want to thank you both for uh, jumping in at the perfect moment, uh, right when we were getting to what would have been your segment, and, all, and then became your segment. And also for holding down the fort on uh, the Now Playings uh, pretty much all year long, As and, and we're transitioning soon over just having those everything immersive and you're jumping into that. So, Patrick, thank you for all that.
3: Of course. I will admit it's uh, I do it because then I get to stay on top and know about all sorts of cool things that are coming in uh, right off the the press releases and stuff. So uh, happy to do it.
0: There you go. That's also, if, if you're someone who wants to know what's going on, uh, there's some room on the team for other obsessives like that. So uh, I'm just, just I'm winking at the camera that doesn't work anymore. And then Kevin, uh, I just want to, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, being here for the long haul and for helping us uh, hold down the fort on uh, and lean the way on the review crew each week.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I think uh, review crew has been a great thing. Um thankful for it over the last, Year, year and a half. How long have we been doing it? Um, and just chatting with people about immersive regularly. It's a uh, it's great. It it makes the year by uh, a little faster and it's nice connect with people all over the country.
0: All right. And on that note, uh I will uh run some music and then we'll do the closing session, uh, which will certainly include a whole bunch of news coming out of our announcements around the next stage because uh we had some big ones this week. And uh, while we're recording this, uh, there's at least one or two things that aren't announced yet. So I'm going to not mention them right now. And indeed, that just about does it for this episode, our gift guide episode, our Thanksgiving episode. I want to give a quick shout out to our latest Patreon backer, David Shulman, Uh, as you know, we fund this whole thing based on Patreon. My my lavish lifestyle of sharing an apartment in Los Angeles is uh, funded by the generous folks who uh, make this all possible. Uh, that includes our sustaining backers, Ari Hurstan, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie hands Paul Farnell, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. I know I'm not going to get to see all of you at the next stage, which is coming up in January. Oh, it's so close. It's freaking me out. It's freaking me out because I have to write some very large checks and I'm scared. Um, I don't like writing large checks. I just, I just, I, I did not grow up with money and it's a very weird thing to do. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to get my best, uh, I'm going to, Summon the soul of Ralph Wiggum while I'm writing the check to the hotel and just say, I'm a businessman and sign my name. So there we go on that. Um, So yeah, uh, we had some, uh, as I mentioned, we did some big announcements this week. Uh, We added uh, a whole bunch of the uh, creative leads over at Meow Wolf coming in to talk about Convergence Station Uh, folks who are out of their, uh, narrative program and out of their performing program. So they're going to be there, uh, on, I shouldn't say what day yet. I know what day they're going to be there, but, uh, we haven't announced the full schedule yet. That being said. They will be there. That'll be one of the sessions we're running. Uh, As you know, last week we announced the creative team behind Brianna's Garden. There's a few more things uh, that we're aiming to lock down. Uh, But as we kind of come into December, we're getting to the point where we're going to talk a little more about the specifics, about when and where. Um, Just so you know, there really is nothing like the next stage. Uh, Many will try. (laughs) Many will try. But none do it quite like us. Uh, We have a real emphasis on the, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of expos and a lot of conventions and a lot of events over the years. And while, yes, we have talks and we have presentations as part of this, uh, it is not, it's not even the full emphasis. Um, Really, the heart of what we do are the salons and the town hall and just really try to create an environment that leads to people connecting with each other, to uh, a sense of the community as a gathering of peers. So, uh, if this is uh, if this is your thing, if if this strange combination of themed entertainment and theater and immersive gaming and XR escape rooms, experiential marketing, if this is your wheelhouse, if you're a creator working in this field, there are still badges available. Uh, I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot because we, we don't do this mass mass gathering. There's just 200 general admission badges. Yes. They're $650. Yes. That's a lot of money. It's a, it's a terrifying amount of money, uh, for, for someone like me. Uh, but, uh, it's a very expensive event to pull off. So just know every dollar goes into pulling the event off uh, where we're not getting rich off this uh, in the least. So uh, this is, this is not a cash grab. <laughs> oh my goodness. A cash grab would be if we just were like pushing the streaming tickets and just doing it that way. But that is not our emphasis. Uh, we're, we're not in the business of producing that anyway. Enough about that. Um, the website this week uh, so much stuff came out today. I'm going to get this out before before midnight uh, here on the 24th of November. Um, and we got the review rundown. I was at uh, Secret Cinema Arcane last night, which I had a lot of fun at. We got uh, we got the gift guide up, which was what we were just talking about. But there is so much more. It's a 5,000-word gift guide. There's a whole bunch of stuff we did not touch on it in in this episode. We... Um, we we got the call sheet up, so there's some opportunities out there. Uh, give the website a whirl over this a long break here in the States. And if you're not in the States, well, give the website a whirl anyway. We are going to be dark until Monday when we come back with a vengeance. And uh, when we come back uh, and, and, and uh, get the drumbeat going for the next stage a bit more. Uh, as always... Um, we appreciate if you give us uh, financial assistance, but we know that's not the only way. Uh, please tell people about the work. Um, it means so much to us when people share the rundown, when they share the call sheet, when they share the podcast. Um, you know, we, we 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 hope that the people who whose work we talk about share it, and they they often do, which is good. <laughs> Sometimes they don't, which I'm like, okay but that being said, uh, it means so much more, um, to me when our readers do and our listeners do. So it means that you find what we do valuable and you think other people should know about us. And that is what I am most thankful for at any time of the year. All right, let's get you back to a Turkey coma or whatever you're in or a, a corn coma, uh, (laughs) We're having a lasagna at my house because that's, that's what I got. So it's what we're having. We're also having a really good pumpkin pie. At least I hope it's really good. <laughs> Pretty sure it's good. It's from a baker I like. Okay. The associate producer of this production is Parker Sella. Music for No Presidium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin. Siobhan, I know it's been a horrible week uh, for voicing our intro Seriously, doll, if you hear this, uh, my thoughts are with you. You know that I, I was texting you earlier. So uh, dear friend, dear friend, uh, Catherine Yu is uh, the person who keeps me sane and is the executive editor at No Pro. I am most thankful for Catherine in my life. Um, a shout out to uh, to Catherine's crew. And uh the No Pro podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced and mixed by yours. Truly. I'm just reading that. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. Oh, Baby Yoda's. Baby Yoda is in the is in the Macy's parade. I'm so excited. Please send me pictures. You've already sent me pictures. Send me more. Okay. Bye.